Well, as I said, now I get the privilege of introducing our guest speaker uh, that's with us here this weekend. You know, a couple of years ago when uh, things were going a little bit crazy in our world, uh, there was a group of people from our church who started meeting. And they started talking about ways that we can help all of us here at Friends Church better think biblically about all that is going on around us. And one of the things that came out of that was a kind of an initiative to, to bring a guest speaker into our church every few months to give their perspective and some of the Bible's teaching on how to make sense of the world in which we live in. And this weekend, we get the opportunity to have our next speaker in that new initiative here at Friends Church, and that is Dr. Sean McDowell. Dr. Sean McDowell is the Associate Professor in the Christian Apologetics Program at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, actually my alma mater. He is a sought-after speaker traveling throughout the United States and abroad, speaking to all different types of organizations. He is also the co-host of the Think Biblically podcast, which is one of the most popular podcasts on faith and cultural issues. And he also has his own YouTube channel, which is one of the most top, top one of the top apologetics channels on YouTube with over 100,000 subscribers. In addition to all of that, he is an accomplished author, having written or co-written or edited over 20 books, some of which he has brought with us uh, this weekend. And they're out right by our Awaken Coffee Shop if you want to check them out or purchase some of them. And he is also a husband. He is a father of three children. And he is a pretty good basketball player, I hear. And this weekend, we have the privilege of having him here with us. Would you do me a favor and give a very warm welcome to Dr. Sean McDowell? Thanks, Chris. That's great. Oh, man. Good evening. What a joy to be with you. That song was beautiful. I almost felt like, man, let's just drop the mic and call this a night. That was fantastic. Um, I was, uh, I was speaking a while ago, and a, a guy had a beautiful voice like, like yours. I said, man, how do you do that? I want to develop a voice like that. He looks at me and goes, son, either you have it or you don't. <laughs> I thought, well, I'll stick to what I do. Well, two stories to start off with tonight. That if you track kind of the media and cultural engagement, you might recognize these two. One was by a former professor by the name of Brett Weinstein. He was for 14 years at Evergreen University in Olympia, Washington. Well, he was targeted for disagreeing with something a powerful group on campus wanted. Interestingly enough, for years, they had what was called the Day of Absence, where minority faculty and students would not come to campus as a way of reminding the rest of the campus of their presence. Well, in 2017, they decided to flip the script and tell white faculty and students not to show up on a particular day. Well, Professor Weinstein, actually, because of his care for racial reconciliation, didn't think this was going to help the cause. So he sent in an email thoughtfully about why he disagreed. And let's just say all hell broke loose when he showed up on campus that day. Over 50 students outside protesting, screaming, threatening him, calling him obscenities, and a racist, by the way. He and his wife sued Evergreen for failing to protect him. They settled the case for half a million dollars and resigned. Another story you might recognize is the name Jack Phillips. He is the owner and founder of Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado. Now, in 2012, he declined to make a cake in particular for a same-sex wedding 
and was sued by the Colorado Civil Rights Commission who compared him to a perpetrator of the Holocaust, which was particularly offensive to Jack because some of his family had fought in the military against the Nazis. Now, what's interesting about this is he would actually refuse to make other cakes. He wouldn't make cakes for, for example, Halloween because of his Christian convictions. He also would gladly serve gay people, but the idea of designing a cake for a same-sex wedding for him was going too far given the reason he started the bakery. Well, when he declined to do this, again, all hell broke loose. He was threatened, bullied, harassed, even though, by the way, there was another cake shop within walking distance not far that would happily do it. And after he announced that he wouldn't do it, he got a call and somebody said, we're about 10 minutes away, we're coming to kill you. Now, what do these two events seemingly have in common? They both seem to capture something we've increasingly become familiar with known as cancel culture. What do we mean by cancel culture? If you say the wrong thing or hold the wrong view, there will be a public shaming, criticism, and a barrage of personal attacks with the intent of canceling your reputation, your relationships, and your livelihood. Now, what's interesting about cancel culture, it's not the kind of thing you and I can read in our newsfeed or watch on the television and then just move on with our lives. It kind of affects all of us personally in greater and lesser degrees, doesn't it? So to me, it seems like there's two inadequate responses that we Christians are tempted to fall into when it comes to cancel culture. One is to live in fear. As a result of cancel culture, the fear we might lose relationships, the fear we might lose a job, the fear for our reputation, we cower back and live in fear. But there's a second approach, and that is to jump on the bandwagon of cancel culture and say, you know what, if they're going to cancel us, we're going to cancel them. So one is to live in fear. Number two is to kind of have an approach that says, you know what? We've got a lot of power. Let's cancel others. Now, sometimes this gets personal, doesn't it? Because a lot of you right now are wondering, well, is he going to answer the question, should I cancel my Disney Plus subscription or not? Because it's been very clear that Disney, with certain recordings, have said we are promoting and pushing certain ideas including along with a certain LGBTQ uh, narrative about the world and their characters and their storylines. In fact, they'll no longer be saying things like, at Disneyland, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Should you not go to Disneyland anymore? Should you cancel your Disney Plus subscription? Well, these are important questions, but it seems to me when I look at cancel culture from scripture. I know we're not called to live in fear. And I know we're also not called to have called to have a knee-jerk reaction in the same spirit as we see in our culture and sometimes within the church to just cancel other people. So how should we as Christians think about and approach cancel culture? Well, I've been reading the book of 1 Peter for a while, which is such a good 
book. And it's interesting because Peter writes this book to uh, Christians in modern-day Turkey, kind of Asia Minor, Bithynia and Cappadocia, Galatia, etc. And they're undergoing some persecution and suffering. In other words, they're living in what's becoming an increasingly hostile culture. And Peter seems to have a couple big concerns. First, he says, in this is chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, it says, but as the one who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, be holy as I am holy. When I look at cancel culture, it seems to me as Christians, we should first look within and make sure we are responding in a way that reflects God's holiness. Wouldn't Christ primarily be concerned with his bride, the church, that we respond in a matter that reflects God's holiness. But second, First Peter also says, it says in chapter 2, verse 12, it says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God. So, number one, we should care about holiness. But number two, living in a certain way because of our good character and good deeds that will get the attention of the non-believing world and challenge them to consider the claims of Christ. Now, if we approach cancel culture through the lens of God's holiness and through living in a manner that loves our neighbor, I wonder if sometimes we would come up with a different approach than how I often see Christians responding. Sometimes we forget our end game, don't we? Now, we're going to jump into some ideas about how we can respond. But when I start hearing a common term like cancel culture, one of the questions I often wonder is, why do we have this phenomenon now? Like, why culturally are people talking about cancel culture? And as I began to study this, I thought of, some of you might remember, the Andrea Gale storm in 1991 called The Perfect Storm. Do you remember this? Made into a movie with Mark Wahlberg and uh, some other star. I can't remember his name. Who's the other star? Of course you know his name. George Clooney. Exactly. 2000 movie called The Perfect Storm. And what happened in the storm is like three factors kind of coalesced at one place at one time and created like a mega storm. Well, I think there's certain factors coalescing that... It makes perfect sense that we would have cancel culture. And the first one is that we have an epidemic of hurting people. Of hurting people. Whenever I see somebody, Christian or not, cancel others in a knee-jerk fashion, my first thought is often, where did they learn to cancel other people? Chances are, they've been canceled and hurt in their own life and they're reacting out of this hurt it's no secret we have an epidemic right now a mental health epidemic loneliness depression anxiety stress suicidality anger in fact if anything covid did what it just kind of exacerbated some issues that were already there so when I see somebody canceling in Egypt fashion, I often think, how is this person canceled in their own life? 
that they're responding in the same fashion. I mean, Rick Warren, now the former pastor of Saddleback Church, they're announcing a new pastor this weekend, evidently, is he said something brilliant years ago. He said, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. Behind a lot of cancel culture is hurting people. I'm, I don't know if this is a male-female thing. I'm not sure. Jury's still out for me. But I'm that guy who can only do one thing at a time. Is that like a gender thing? How many of you guys can really literally only do one thing at a time and are willing to admit it? Let me see your hands. Okay. A decent number of you. Like, seriously, like if I'm on the phone and we're trying to make dinner, I can't cut onions while I'm on the phone. I'm talking and I'm dialed in. I actually was driving through McDonald's the other day. I was like, you know what? I actually couldn't do that job because they're like taking an order and a payment at the same time. I was like, I couldn't do this. I can only do one thing at a time. It was somewhat of a humbling thought for me. Well, I was doing this YouTube interview and oftentimes I will have somebody moderating the comments. I don't mind back and forth and disagreement, but sometimes comments get hostile and just people start attacking and it distracts from the purpose of the interview. And of course, this time, I forgot to have a moderator. So I'm interviewing someone, I forget what the topic was, and I'm seeing these comments on the side, which is hard for me because I'm focused on the interview. And I'm just seeing the temperature increase and increase and increase. And I'm thinking either somebody's going to like calm this down or this thing is going to blow up. And finally, somebody says these Christians are going back and forth that somebody that I took was not a Christian. And... They said to this guy, they go, well, why are you even here? What right do you have to even come here and speak the way that you do? And as best I can remember, he says something effective. He goes like, he says, I'm a military veteran. And I was serving our country and got seriously wounded. And it affected me for the rest of my life. Don't tell me where I can speak and where I can't speak. I saw this comment and was like, oh man, I got to jump in. So what do you say at that moment? So I stopped the interview. And as best I can remember, I turned and I said, hey, I noticed this comment and I got to jump in. Sir, you mentioned you served in the military. Thank you for your service. You also mentioned that you got hurt and wounded deeply. I am so sorry that this happened to you. I don't know why God allowed this. And I'm not going to pretend to give you an answer. But I'm honored you'd come and listen in and be a part of the conversation and care about what we're talking about. He went silent. Why? Because Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle word turns away wrath. Your kindness leads to repentance in Romans 2. And in Proverbs 15, 4, it says a soft word breaks a bone. Friends, one of the reasons we have cancel culture is there's so many hurting people that are broken in the church and outside of the church. The second reason I think we have cancel culture is that we have such clashing worldviews in our culture. 
there's such distinct ideas within the church and outside of the church on so many issues that of course we have cancel culture. So in 2015, some of you will remember, I can't believe it's been seven years, was the famous Obergefell versus Hodges Supreme Court ruling on same-sex marriage. The New York Times was interested in doing a story on how Christians were going to respond to this. So actually faith community and those outside of the faith community. So Biola hosted an event and I got to be there and there was radio show hosts and there was a few pastors and we had a conversation. And I remember there was also a young man who is a gay affirming Christian. In other words, he said, God is fine with same-sex relationships if they're loving and mutual and monogamous, so to speak. Well, I remember asking him a question distinctly. I said, I need to understand this. Are you saying for me to be loving towards the LGBTQ community, can I just hold on to my view about natural marriage but need to be gracious and kind? Or are you saying I have to change my theology to be loving? You know what the answer was, doesn't it? It's actually my theology itself. This is God made marriage one man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime that causes harm to the LGBTQ community. So if you don't change your theology, you are by definition hateful. (laughs) Now, can we understand why we have cancel culture? One side says this is God's design for marriage and the natural family is good. The other side says, if you hold that view, you are harming people. Pretty hard to find common ground between those two positions. It's difficult. So of course we have cancel culture. That's within the church and without, but we also see it within the church. So I'm going to share an example. I'll be honest with you. When I first thought of this example, I was like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to share this example. Then the thought hit me. I was like, wait a minute. What am I afraid of? Like getting canceled in a talk on cancel culture? (laughs) Like that's kind of messed up if I'm not going to go there. And it's just because this issue has become so divisive within the church and without. Well, I interviewed a friend of mine who's uh, like me. He believes in Jesus. Like me, he's a preacher. Like me, he believes the Bible is the inerrant word of God. Unlike me, he's black. Unlike me, he played in the NFL. Well, when I interviewed him on race relations, I really wanted to know, he has one of the most intentionally multi-ethnic churches I've ever been to. It's one of my favorite churches to speak at, from the top down, intentionally multi-ethnic in the South. And I started to ask him how he worked through the past two or three years some of the most controversial issues that was dividing churches. I said, I'm curious how you addressed, given that you were in the NFL, taking a knee. I said, if I might share with you what shaped my perspective. I said, for me, my grandfather served in World War II. And I remember when I was, I think I was in high school, and I was talking with my mom about this, and I was like, you know what? Freedom of speech, you should be able to burn the flag if you want to. Freedom of speech. My mom started sharing with me her dad, my grandpa's perspective. And she said, you know, your grandpa served in World War II. He lost friends in World War II. To him, that flag represents freedom 
And he's willing to die for that. So I said to this pastor, I said, can you understand why I would approach something like kneeling in the fashion that I do? And he goes, Sean, I totally get it. First off, thank you to your grandpa for serving. He goes, let me give you a little perspective. He goes, actually, I had family members serve all the way back in the Civil War, interestingly enough. He said, but there was also a lot of black people who served in World War II. But when they came home, they had a very different reception than white people did, including not being even allowed to get certain GI bills. Can you understand why many black people would approach taking a knee very differently? Now that's a fair question, isn't it? See what happens is we fail to take the time to at least try to step into somebody else's perspective and hear and find common ground and move forward. Rather, we build walls and we demonize the other side. Now, that's within the church, Bible-believing, inerrantist people who love Jesus. No wonder we have cancel culture. There's clashing worldviews within the church and without, and there's strong, heated perspectives within the church. I'd be surprised if we didn't have cancel culture. But there's a third reason. Number one, hurting people. Number two, clashing worldviews. Number three, this little rectangle thing we all have in our pockets called smartphones. Now all of us have a platform to the world to share what we think on every issue. So if you have a culture of hurting people, there's clashing worldviews. And all I got to do is type something out and hit send. Of course, we're going to have cancel culture. I'm not against smartphones, but it has certainly fostered in many ways the shallowing of genuine conversations and the lack of charity towards others. It makes sense to me that we have cancel culture. So what do we do? How do we respond? Now, I think there's a place for Christians in law to defend religious liberty, very important. There's a place for people in film to tell stories about like the beauty of free speech and loving our neighbors. But in this session, I just want to talk about how you and I can best respond in our own individual lives as believers. And number one, when we look at cancel culture, above all else, we must be obedient. Even if it costs us something, we must be obedient. I did my dissertation on the deaths of the apostles, my PhD dissertation. So for years studied... Was Peter crucified upside down in Rome? Did Thomas make it to India, etc.? And one of the things that just amazed me is you just read the beginning of Acts, and the apostles are threatened, they're beaten, they're thrown in prison, and they're told, just stop talking about Jesus. And in Acts 5, in one of my favorite verses, Paul, Peter speaks on behalf of the apostles. He says, no, we won't stop. We must obey God rather than men. That's powerful. Right at the beginning, it cost the Christians to speak and preach and proclaim truth. 
See, the reason we don't is because we fear culture oftentimes more than we fear God. A number of years ago, one of the best left backs in uh, U.S. women's soccer, her name is Jaylene Hinkle. If you follow U.S. women's soccer, you might recognize her. Well, in 2015, after the Obergefell versus Hodges Supreme Court ruling, she wrote this on social media. She said, I believe with every fiber in my body that what was written 2,000 years ago in the Bible is undoubtedly true. This world may change, but Christ and his word never will. That's bold, right? Now notice she didn't say anything about marriage, didn't say anything about the Supreme Court, but kind of made it clear at that moment that she thinks there are certain truths that don't change and her commitment is to Scripture and God's Word that doesn't change. Well, simply for writing this, she became a marked woman. When she would play, people would boo her. They would shout out at her so much for tolerance. But in 2017, she made the U.S. women's national team. Now, can you imagine if you're a woman's soccer player, that's the highest honor, the most elite group you can make in the world is your country's national team. So let that sink in before we talk about what decision she made because she worked her tail off for this. She had an opportunity on this roster that many young girls just dream about. You can also understand how many ways if some temptation came up she could justify you know maybe some kind of compromise well that summer the u.s women's national team was forced to wear certain rainbow colored jerseys in support of gay pride so she found herself in a bind her question was do i wear the jersey or not now some of you might say just wear the jersey, be an influence on the inside. Fair enough, if you want to make that case, go for it. But on some of these issues, we have to look at our conscience and be thoughtful about this before the Lord. And that's what Jaylene did. So she wrote this. She said, I just felt so convicted in my spirit that it wasn't my job to wear this jersey. I gave myself three days to seek and pray and determine what God was asking me to do in this situation. And then what she wrote humbles me. She said, if I never get another national team call up again, then that's just a part of his plan, and that's okay. Maybe this is why I was meant to play soccer, to show other believers to be obedient. Isn't that powerful? She understood it's not about soccer or some other job. It's ultimately about being faithful. With that in mind, let's be faithful. I can't tell you how many times since I've been giving this talk, how many Christians have come up to me and talk about what it's cost them, whether a job or a relationship, trying to be faithful. But that's our number one responsibility, is to be faithful and obedient to Christ, come what may. But second, extend grace, love, grace, and forgiveness. Extend love, grace, and forgiveness. Now, we conservative Christians are often tempted to live in fear of certain ideas in our wider culture, aren't we? 
We are afraid we might get canceled for a view on sexuality, on race, on vaccines, on whatever the topic is. It's natural to live in fear of being canceled. The question is, how should we respond to fear? And the Bible is crystal clear. 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out fear. Why? Because fear is selfish. Love is selfless. Fear is self-focused. Love is other-focused. Our posture, rather than living in fear, must be one of living in love. The temptation is for us Christians to live in fear of critical race theory, atheists, LGBTQ community, Muslims, Republicans, Democrats, or any other view you want to put in there. I'm not saying we shouldn't have concern with those issues. We should have concern and stand for truth unmistakably. But we must live in a posture above all else to love and show grace to our neighbor. Because ironically, what's the thing that cancel culture lacks? Grace and forgiveness. We'll pull up something from a tweet or something you wrote on social media 10, 20 years ago and cancel you for it. There's no forgiveness in cancel culture. And yet that's the heart of the gospel is that God extends forgiveness to all who will repent and ask for it. So ironically, at the heart of Christianity, God's grace is the very thing that cancel culture lacks. So in my ministry on my YouTube channel, I try to extend this to people. And I've had a couple of guests on. I've got a little bit of criticism for this. But I've tried to find people of very different worldviews, reach out and show grace and kindness to lo- and love to them. So I reached out to a lady who described herself as the OG lesbian YouTuber. That's how she described herself. For 12 years has been producing content on YouTube. Her name is Ariel Scarcella. Really thoughtful, kind person. I reached out to her. I was like, hey, would you come on my YouTube channel? Full disclosure, I'm a conservative Christian professor and just have a conversation about faith and your story. She goes, sure. So she came on my channel. It wasn't a debate. I just asked her a lot of questions and tried to listen. But a couple interesting things happened in the conversation. For example, I asked her, I said, hey, your family's Catholic. What was it like when you came out to your family? And she said, oh, my dad was great. He said, if God made you that way, wouldn't he want you to live it out? Something to that effect. She goes, what do you think? I'm sitting there going, does she really want me to answer? I said, do you really want to know what I think? She said, yes. I said, well, I think your dad got right that the Bible says we're all made in God's image. doesn't matter our skin color. doesn't matter how much money we have, our age, male, female, straight or gay. Every human being is made in God's image and has value. But that's Genesis chapter 1 and 2. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, it talks about the fall and that we have all been affected by sin. So we have creation and we have the fall. Given that we live in the fall, I'm uncomfortable appealing to any experience or desire somebody has and saying that's necessarily God's will. She goes, oh, 
as long as you're not, you're not saying that the LGBTQ community are uniquely sinful, she goes, that makes sense. I said, we're not. The Bible makes it very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of, of God. It's fascinating. Then at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, I'm going to open it up and I want to know what questions you have for me. Now, what do you think she asked? That's interesting, isn't it? I didn't know what she was going to ask me. At the very end, she said, I think many people in my community would want to know, how would you respond if one of your kids came out as gay? And I said, well, here's what I would say. I'd say to my son or daughter, I can only imagine how much you've been thinking about this and talking with your dad. Thank you for opening up and sharing this part of your life with me. I can't imagine how much you've been wrestling with this given that I've spoken out on this issue. I said, second, you're my son, you're my daughter. I love you. There's nothing you could say or do or any choice you could make that would stop me from loving you. I said, and third, we're gonna work this through together. I'll never forget it. At the end, she goes, wow, that's beautiful. When you release this interview, send me the link. I wanna share it with my community. I thought, here's a bunch of people in the LGBTQ community who's going to watch some videos of a Christian apologist. Why? I think because I tried to lead with kindness and grace rather than lead with judgment. Now, you might be like, I'm not on YouTube. That's fine. But there's going to be people in your life you can reach out to with kindness and with grace. That's my challenge to you. And frankly, in the church, we don't always do this, do we? There's a passage in Luke chapter 7 where this woman comes up to Jesus. You know the story. She pours out this jar of perfume all over his feet. And this Pharisee's watching it. Describe this woman twice as a sinner to make sure we don't miss it. And it says in a chapter 7 of Luke, it says a certain moneylender, Jesus tells the story back to the Pharisee. It says a certain moneylender had two debtors, one who owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon in the home understands the one with the greater debt who was forgiven would love him more. And Jesus says to Simon, he's like, I came in your house, you gave me nothing. She cared for me because of the debt that I had forgiven her. And Jesus turns to her, he says, your sins are forgiven. He says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. The culture wanted to cancel her. Jesus extended grace and kindness. So number one, we must be obedient. But number two, may we be people of grace. Number three, we need to cultivate wisdom. More than ever before, we need what the scripture says is wisdom. I love the example of Daniel in Daniel chapter 1, who's told just eat the king's food, but the problem is it's not kosher. And what does he do? He comes up with this creative solution that says, how do I honor what the king really wants? Because it's not about his food, but stay faithful to my convictions. That's a brilliant way to think. They came by wisdom. And in Daniel 1, we know the story of his vegetable diet, and it worked out. We need wisdom. Well, what does this look like? Years ago, I wrote a book on same-sex marriage. And I was trying to think through what would we say to bakers and photographers 
when asked to perform a same-sex wedding. And a businessman said to us, he said, you know, why don't you encourage people to put a sign on their wall that says, we cater same-sex marriages, same-sex weddings, all the proceeds go to focus on the family. I was like, okay. Now that might not solve everything, and that's not meant to be a jab at somebody. That's a creative, thoughtful way like Daniel that tries to use wisdom. That's what we need as a church today, don't we? We must be obedient when it's all said and done, but we must show grace and kindness to our wider culture who often also fears getting canceled and we must cultivate wisdom. That's my prayer for you as individuals and my prayer for your church. Now, with that said, it turns out that Pastor Chris is heading up a conference where in the fall, Biola, where I teach, we're coming back. And if you throw the slide up there really fast, uh, this is a pretty cool event. Saturday, October 15th, Friday, October 14th, our team at Biola is coming. We're going to talk about some of these issues and go into more depth. So if you're around in the fall, you have friends, invite them. It's hosted here in this sanctuary. We would love to help you think through some of these issues, go into more depth, and learn how to engage our culture thoughtfully uh, today with a lot of these issues that, that come up. If it's helpful to you, there's some resources back there. I put together a book called A New Kind of Apologist, which is basically asking, how do we stay faithful to truth but show grace and kindness and engage culture thoughtfully today. There's even a chapter on how do you have practical spiritual conversations with people. There's a book back there called So the Next Generation Will Know, wrote with a friend of mine, former atheist cold case detective, for parents, for teachers, for grandparents. How do you practically teach a Christian worldview to kids? And the last one is called Chasing Love, which is specifically for, well, for students, but I took my daughter through it, and a lot of our cancel culture comes from our interaction with the LGBTQ community and our wider culture on issues of sexuality. And I found there's not a lot of Christians who understand what Scripture teaches and why. God's design for marriage is good and it's beautiful. I found when we have a better, deeper understanding we're not threatened by other ideas and we can engage people more lovingly. So I'm gonna sneak back. I think we have one more song I'll pray for us, but I'm gonna sneak back there. If I can answer a question, meet you, uh, that would be a treat for me. Father, thanks for this church. Thanks for their, their willingness every few months to talk about big issues going on in culture. And I pray in particular, if anybody is sitting here during this service and has felt like this just hit home personally to them because maybe they've been canceled in a relationship, canceled in a job, just canceled on social media. God, that you would give them such wisdom and grace to wade this, but love for the wider world as well and how they navigate this. We pray this in your name. Amen.